Last week we were in Matthew chapter 1, we were looking at a genealogy of Jesus. And it would show us that when we look at our family history, we need a Savior. We need God to come close and save us. Today I'm going to look real quickly at a passage that's already been read. It's in Isaiah chapter 9 that shows that throughout history, humanity has been hungering for the Son of God to enter into our lives. It's the reason that we're hungering to see these kids here. We have to hear these stories of God. Now, if I'm going to be real practical, even we were having a little bit of jokes here, asking the kids things, and sometimes our kids will say something that is so simple and so profound that we just stand as adults in the wild. This is the words of God from the mouth of a child. And then sometimes it kind of makes us giggle. And I'm pretty confident of this. There's a lot of kids here that know that in 10 days they're going to be opening Christmas presents. I've watched a few of them move around here, and, and I like the kids here, but I'm guessing when the parents aren't in the room, they're, they're eyeballing what's going on. They might even be shaking the Christmas presents. They tell us we know that we need more than we have. What's of this earth is not enough. And even if we step outside, and it's a little bit cold in North Dakota, and the days are really short. And there's not that much light here. And if our bodies just fall into the rhythm, we're going to sleep a little bit more. We're going to go a little bit slower. And we're in a season where creation is saying, rest. Take this in. Light is going to come into the world soon. It's this season. I'm going to ask you to stand. I, again, I'm going to try to honor my dad's counsel to me. I'm going to read chapter 9, verses 1 to 7 of Isaiah. Make a few comments. I'm reading from Holmes. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times, when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in the darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoiced at harvest time, as they rejoiced when dividing spirits. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, as you did on the day of Minyan. For the trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and his prosperity will never end. He will reign over the throne of David, over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord, of course, will accomplish this. Please be seated. If you like history, I'll give you just a brief one. Isaiah is a prophet in roughly 700 B.C. 722, the nation above Judah, where Isaiah is prophesying, it's his cousin people, it's Israel, they were once a united people. Israel falls to the Assyrians. Isaiah is speaking to Judah when they know that things are not safe. 
And when there are some significant problems, they're having these false hopes of political alliances or trying to cheat somebody with money or thinking if they keep all these rules without fault changing their hearts, or sometimes they think if we just do all these awful things, then we can get the results we want. And he keeps holding the leaders accountable. And if you listen to the words of a prophet, at times it's going to shake you to the call. And you might feel angry or you might feel sad. And if you really hear the words of a prophet, it beats down all your hope. And then the prophet speaks again and says, don't give up hope. This is one of these messages of hope. It's similar to our days today. When we're honest, we know that life isn't always working for us. And even when things are going well, we can look and say, oh, there's something that might be coming. But yet the markers of God are everywhere in our life, and we're thankful. We live in this strange tension of paradoxes constantly. And though Jesus entered into the world 2,000 years ago, his work on our hearts is not fully done, and his work on this earth is not fully done. And we're hungry for more. It's not complete. Well, this is what's coming. The prophet said it 2,700 years ago. Jesus came upon this earth roughly 2,000 years ago, and we believe in another day he's coming again. So as we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate what he's done in the past, but we're still looking forward to something that's coming again. Light will overcome darkness. God's kingdom will continue to grow, and we, God's people, are going to be filled with joy. Even in a few minutes, I hope if you're visiting, come downstairs and eat with us. We as God's people enjoy it when we have to set out more cheers. That gives us joy, and I hope you, if you're visiting, you'll feel the joy that comes from this. Because we believe that our king is coming again, and he's going to take away all of the things that have broken us, and he's going to lead us with gentleness. We will find hope in a child. And I'm going to make four points. Then we're going to take communion, and then I'm going to sit down, and then hopefully you'll join us for the meal. Hope is going to be found in a child. Isaiah mentions four names of this child. The first one, most translations will say, Wonderful Counselor. The theologians who will study the word that we get wonder will say it's the ability to do miracles, to step into this world and change all of the rules. It's a miracle worker, and he's a counselor. He listens to us. He asks us questions. And as he hears what's really going on in our lives, he gives us advice and guidance, and he heals, and he heals our wounds. And then he guides us to the success that's his. Not our own, but his. The second word that's described this child is mighty God. And even as, as you read this, I hope you feel a shock about this one. If you know the Old Testament, you know that God is described as one, and there's to be no other God besides him. And it's an abomination to take the name of God upon a human being. And here the messenger of God, Isaiah, says a child's coming in his name is mighty God. 
He's a hero who has none of the failings of humanity. And if you read the stories of human history, you'll find men and women who do at times heroic things. But if you read an honest history of any human being who's walked this earth, every one of us has our failings, our regrets, our moments where we did hear God's voice and we did do what we needed to do, where we did and we rebelled and we did awful things. This child is a mighty God who has none of our failings. And the illustration comes out of his life like a warrior who runs and defends us and protects us and destroys what's evil. The third term to describe this child, and again, I hope you don't miss the shock of it, eternal father. We typically don't hold the baby and call him eternal father. But the nature of being a father, our biological fathers, if they were faithful men to our mother, knew us before we were born. They wrapped their hand around our mom when she was pregnant, and their hands felt our movement when we were in the womb. They dreamed about us, they prayed about us, they loved us before we had entered into the spirit. God's like that. They're intimate. A father always provides, he always protects, he teaches, and a father plays with us. In North Dakota, he probably teaches us how to hunt and fish. He may help, help us learn to play hockey or soccer or something, but he's playing with us. And the illustration is, this is what this child is like, because this is what God is like. He's known us from before we were born, and he knows all of who we are today and who we will be in the future. And he keeps loving us and guiding us, and he does it in such a way that it's full of joy with me. It lasts forever. The fourth description of this child is the Prince of Peace. It's a royal title. And for those of us that live in a nation that left all of the royalty of Europe for many of us, or the royalty of other places in Africa or Asia and the Middle East, and when we hear a royal title, we really have to put on our thinking hats and think, I've got to understand this one because this one's different from me. This child is a descendant of King David, the ideal king. He's, in fact, he's the king of all kings. And all who have led humanity cannot compare to this child. And though he has the power of a military hero, he is a prince of peace. He is gentle and gracious. And if we follow the stories of Jesus, in a few months' time, we're going to be at Palm Sunday, and this Prince of Peace will enter Jerusalem, gentle and riding on a donkey. Maybe his mom didn't ride a donkey going into Bethlehem, but he's going to ride a donkey to Jerusalem. He mediates between us and God. He mediates between us and one another. He brings peace. Say this, this is personal. I'm, uh, you, guys, you guys know how old I am, I've told you that. If I were to tell you all of my history, I've been pastoring for over 30 years, and I've seen a lot of conflict in church. My deepest hunger at this point in my life is peace. To be with God's people and to keep us getting along with one another. 
That's my deepest pastoral hunger. And when I read all of these titles, at this stage of my life, this Prince of Peace, that's the one that I just really hunger for. A season of peace in which Jesus heals all of our wounds and he helps us mediate back to God. We are okay with God and we're okay with one another.